Psalms chapter 40, verse 1. The Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading of the Bible this morning. And then, Father, as we simply try to proclaim a simple thought, God, I pray that you would give grace to do that. Lord, there's no ability in me whatsoever to communicate the Bible clearly, Lord, or in a manner that would change the hearts and lives of your people. But I believe in the Bible, and I believe in the Spirit of God, and I believe, Lord, that when you take the Bible... And you declare it to the best of your ability, by the way of the Spirit of God, that it has the ability to change us. And I pray that it would. I pray that it encourage and strengthen these, your servants. And I pray that you would bless them in our time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, the psalmist has given us an overview of his deliverance. And of course, it corresponds with how we've been delivered. So we read this, probably a common passage, and we know it ought to stir in us some type of gratitude. And it may, and I hope that it does, God inclined unto us. Now, if that doesn't impress you from the beginning, I just, I just want to try to draw a picture. In the beginning, God, Genesis chapter 1 says, there was nothing else except God. And he spoke and all this that we see came into existence. The Milky Way galaxies, which is planet Earth, which is where we reside in, the Milky Way galaxies, 100,000 light years across. They've done some new studies and feel like maybe it could be 125 or above 1,000 light years across. But nonetheless, as we know, it's 100,000 light years across. That's what it's been recorded as. And I know you know the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. So if you took 186,000 miles per second and, and times that by 60 to get a minute, times 60 more to get an hour, times 24 hours times 365 days, that's how long, that's how far you would go in a light year, if that makes sense. So you take a light year times 100,000, that's how long it would take you to get across just the Milky Way galaxy, which is a minuscule part of the universe in which we reside, which is only one universe of billions of other universes that, that, that is known to mankind. So when I say that God inclined unto us it ought to be fairly impressive to our hearts that he would take the time, that kind of God with that kind of power, that he would incline to us. Because what it means is not only did he listen to us, but he inclined unto us. He bowed himself to us when we cried out. I have seven children, and there's been many times in our relationship that they've said, Dad, and I, the older you get, the less you're able to hear, and so sometimes I have to incline unto them, Yes, sweetheart. That's exactly what God did to us when we cried out to him. He inclined unto us and he didn't just incline toward us. The Bible says he heard us. He listened. He reached down into the pit that we had chosen to enter into, pulled us up out of it, placed our feet on a rock, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. He established our goings. It simply means he secured. He firmly established our way. Well, where are we going? Well, the Bible says, or, or as I'm not the Bible, sorry, the hymn says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. 
And the Bible tells us that he has promised to return for us. When we see him, the Bible says we're going to be made just like him. He'll never leave us nor forsake us while we're here. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. I would say we're fairly established by the work of God in our lives. So we cry out to God because we find ourselves in a position that we cannot help ourselves. He inclines unto us. He listens to us. He hears us. He picks us out of the miry clay and he sets our feet on a rock, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And then he establishes our goings. And I'm telling you, your way is established. You may not feel established at times and you may be overwhelmed with life at times. But I'm telling you, God has established our goings. He has done that for us. We now have a song, the Bible says, in our heart. We have a song in our heart because of the grace of God that took us where we were at and has taken us to where we could never have gone. We are children of God by God's grace. We are, we are adopted into God's family by God's grace. We are now saints of God, called out, separated to Him, peculiar people by God's grace. So the grace of God hath appeared unto every person. Some have received the grace of God and some have rejected the grace of God. But the point is, I would define grace is the desire and ability. Desire and ability. The Bible tells us, for by grace are you saved. Romans says and informs us that there is none that seeketh after God. Can I tell you that when you got saved, it is not because you did anything in and of yourself. It is because God came after you. It's he revealed himself to you and he sought after you. And because he did, he gave you a desire to understand him, to seek him, to know him, to understand salvation. It is a complete work of almighty God. So he gives you the desire and then he gives you the ability. It's not by works of righteousness which we have wrought, the Bible says. We didn't have the, desi we didn't have the ability to, get to save ourselves. So not only did God give us the desire to be saved, God has given us the ability to be saved and that is the grace of God defined in the Bible the way my mind works. So we had no desire, grace. We had no ability, grace. One would think we would be grateful, but we're not always motivated by God's grace. It can be resisted, it can be neglected, and we can fall short of God's grace. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 36, I want to read this portion of scripture to you. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. And I want to explain a couple of things to you and I'll be done. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with, with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisees, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. 
Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that said it meet with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace." When I went to Bible college, I, I was very naive. I was raised in a Christian home. And so my concept of Bible college is that when you got there, and I hope this is the case here, but that everybody was going to love Jesus and everybody was going to be happy about being there. So I walked in and I, I was from Texas and I went to school in Missouri. And I remember having on Texas A&M jogging pants and a T-shirt. And back in those days, this is your brain. This is your brain on, brain on drugs. And there was a frying pan of a brain. Okay. Well, I had the Christian version. Uh, this is your brain. This is your brain in hell, John 3, 16. And so when I walked into my room for the first time, my roommate, I mean, he, I, mean I opened the door. I had a key to it. It was my room. I paid my rent. And I, I walked in and he, and he just looked at me and he's like, nice T-shirt. Okay, cool. I, I knew there was something else to it. And he said, you know, God doesn't need the world's avenue to, to share the gospel, some, you know, gas bag comment, I don't know. And I'm like, wow, welcome to Bible college. And, and there was all kinds of personalities and, and things that you deal with. And, and so right from the get-go, there was a guy on my floor, his name was Steve. And Steve was... He was crazy about being there. He was crazy about following the Lord. He was so excited to be in Bible college and so excited to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and what had, and, and, and come to understand, I mean, Steve had, he was, he was a lot older than all of us. All of us, most of us on the floor were 18, 19 years old. We were fresh out of, out of high school and, and a little bit ignorant, green behind the ears and all that kind of stuff. But the, he, he was about 28 or 29. He's a little bit older and, and he had lived a very rough life and, and he didn't have a father and, and his mom, the relationship with his mom wasn't very good and, and he had gotten into drugs and alcohol and he was a bouncer for some rock band. I mean, he, he had had a rough going of it. And so when somebody introduced Jesus Christ to him, he was so excited about his faith in Jesus Christ. He was so thankful for what God had done for him. It had changed him and it had changed him radically. And so he was, he was very zealous about the things of God to the point that he would be a little bit of, anno of an annoyance. Because he, I mean, he, I, and I know this sounds ridiculous and it is a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not making this up. I don't have to because it was that crazy. But he went door knocking one day in the dorms. And, and, and he, he would knock on the door and, and we would answer and be like, dude, what are you doing? Well, you know, you just never know for sure. And, I mean, you just got to know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You just got to know that you're on your way to heaven. And, and I just don't want to take it for granted the people I go to school with, you know, are, are, are not saved or are saved or whatever. So I, I'm like, wow. You, you're zealous, you know, you're pretty excited about this stuff. And it, it's not that I wasn't. I just didn't have the zeal he had. And, uh, and, and, and I didn't, I'm not even sure I wanted it. 
W one day I was going to work and, and he said, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to work. I mean, this, I, I mean, I don't mean to be any way, but I didn't work at a place that took rocket science. I mean, it was just labor. And, um, and, and, and so he caught me in the hallway and he said, hey, where are you going? I'm going to work. He says, well, let me, can I pray with you about that? Okay, look, I, I'm simple-minded. If you don't work, you don't eat. I want to eat. I'm going to go to work. I got bills to pay. I got things to do. It just, in my mind, did not make a lick of sense. Why he wants to pray with me about going to work. And so, I mean, he, he and I said, oh, well, okay, whatever. And so, I mean, he, he put his arm around me and pulled me in. And, and he's like, now, Father, I pray that you'd bless Brother Denson here, my brother. And as he goes to work, that you would strengthen him. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm kind of looking up going, I hope nobody's watching this. This is weird. This is weird. I have a reputation. I don't know what kind of reputation I had, but I didn't want that one. And so after I observed him and understood of his testimony and understood why he was the way he was, I, I, I got it. And then I came to Luke chapter 7 and I read this and it, and it made sense to me for the first time because in my mind I thought, what, where does he get that kind of motivation? Where does he get that kind of zeal? Where does he get that kind of love? What, what, where, what, where does he get it and why don't I have it? And so I came across his passion. It made sense to me. The reason I was the way I was and the reason he was the way he was was the amount of debt that we owed. That's what the book says. I mean, you have great debt. You have great forgiveness. You have great gratitude. You have little debt. You have little love. You have little gratitude. That, that's, that's what the passage was bearing out. And so he loved more because he was forgiven more debt. He was overwhelmed with gratitude and love. And, 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 and that's great for him. But in my mind, that's a bummer for me. It's just a bummer for me that, that I'm stuck the way I am. Because, you know, I was... Let me give you my testimony. When I was... I was Born into the church, not literally, but my, my parents were serving in full-time ministry. My dad did everything at the church. We ended up living across the street from the church and we mowed the church lawn and, and, and we cleaned the church building and, and, and we, we, we set it for every activity the church had. And we tore down afterwards when everybody went home and, and, and we did the bathrooms and we mopped the floors and buffed the floors. I mean, we did everything. I mean, I was raised in the church, serving in the church and... And when I was five years old, I came forward and, and all I remember doing is crying and, and they prayed with me and everybody came by and, and shook my hand and said, congratulations that you, you know, got saved. We're going to baptize and they baptized me the next week and, and all is well and all is fine. Well, the next 10 years of my life, I, I, I mean, if you could do it, I did it. I mean, we, we, like I said, we, we were very involved in the church. We never missed a service. We never missed visitation. I was in junior choir, then teen choir, then adult choir. I helped in the bus ministry. I helped in junior church. I, I mean, if you could do it, I did. And part of the reason I did that is because there was something inside of me that, that I wasn't confident in my salvation. So when I was 15 years old, Frank Perdue was preaching Singing Hills Youth Camp. Tuesday night, he was preaching on hell. And I understood that I, all those things I did couldn't save me. And so I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ that night. And, and so, but, I, but I want you to understand that from that point on, when I got saved at 15, my life really didn't drastically change. I was already involved in religious activity. I was already involved in, in serving the Lord, now my Savior. I was already involved in church and, and those things. And so there wasn't this drastic change. And so, yes, I love Jesus. If I didn't, I wouldn't be at Bible college. I mean, I'd surrendered to leave my mom and, and go off to Bible college. So it's not that I didn't have a, a, a love for God or the things of God, but I just didn't have what he had. And so when I came across this passage, it helped me. 
He has great love because he has great forgiveness. I have little love because I had little forgiveness. Well, here I'm in the ministry a few weeks ago. I was preaching at a conference, a men's conference in Nebraska. And I, the other preacher, there was two of us swapping in. And the other preacher got saved late in life. Kind of the same thing. And he was saved out of a terrible lifestyle. Same thing. He, he was an alcoholic. He, he was into drugs. He, he sold drugs. He, 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 he crowds with women. He, he, he said one time, I mean, he was, he was late 20s. I mean, he's a, he's a grown man. He's late 20s. And his parents went off on a vacation by themselves and when they came back, he had sold every stitch of furniture in their house for drugs. And his parents finally said, we're done with you. Get out of the house. And, and so he, he's in his 30s now. And, 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 and these kids are just, they're just going and knocking on doors, inviting people to church. And they come to his house. He's like, I ain't going to church. I ain't got time for that. But the Lord used it. Long story short, he ends up getting, going to the church and getting saved and and, and, and his life radically changed. I mean, it just, he saw the grace of God and the power of God to change his life. And so he, he immediately started serving the Lord. And now he's pastoring and, and he's very zealous. He's very zealous. And, and, and to the point that he's, he's given this illustration and, and he's preaching a sermon on God's a big deal. God's a big deal. Everywhere I go, I want people to know that God's a big deal. And in my mind, this is just a few weeks ago, I'm sitting there going, you know, I understand that. And God is a big deal. And I want him to be a big deal with in my life and in my marriage and in our church with my children. I, I want God to be a big deal. But I just am telling you, there's something inside of me that says, I don't think God's as big a deal as this guy does. He gave an illustration. He says, every time I fly somewhere, he goes, I, I, I warn the person next to me when, when they land and you hear the ding. You know, then you take your seatbelt off. He says, I stand up and I say, God's a big deal. And Jesus, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to come and, and live a sinless life and die, and die a substitutionary death and be buried in a grave and be, be, he was risen from the grave three days later. He's a big deal. And I have some tracks I'd love to give you. And I'm, I mean, a few weeks ago, I'm sitting in this conference. I'm listening to him going, the guy's crazy. I would never do that. I mean, I love Jesus. And I want other people to know about the gospel, but I just don't know about that. And this passage came to mind. Well, it makes sense. He has a zeal because he has lots of love for Jesus because he had a ton of debt that had to be forgiven. It makes sense. You go back to my little life and I was a little choir boy and my debt just wasn't the same. I was forgiven, but it wasn't the same. And and so it just makes sense why I am the way I am. And, and so when I read Luke chapter 7, Jesus said, Simon, who is going to be more grateful? Simon, who is going to be more excited about their debt being forgiven? And Simon answered, well, the person forgiven the most will be more grateful. And Jesus said, thou hast answered well. You answered correctly. That's exactly right. That is the answer. Simon, that's what's wrong with you. And that's why she loves the way she, she loves. That's what he said. But I'm telling you, it leaves me in a quandary. It leaves me in a quandary because I don't have the zeal that other people have. So there's got to be more to it. So if all a person 
focuses on is the amount of debt, then this would be the correct conclusion. But you have to pay attention to the whole context. There has to be something else in verse 41. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay. Do you understand that? When they had nothing to pay. You, you may owe a small debt, sir or ma'am. But if you're bankrupt, bankrupt is bankrupt. Broke is broke. No money is no money. And I'm not being sarcastic. Please take it with the intent of my heart what I mean by this. But Mr. and Ms. Spiritual, the reason we are not more grateful is because we don't comprehend that we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. We're not more zealous about God's grace because we've never thought we were that bad. We're not motivated because we're small debtors. We're decent people. As if the cost of our salvation wasn't as bad as those that are really bad. Can I tell you the Bible still says it's precious blood? Can I tell you the Bible still said it was a spotless lamb? The Bible still said it was, he was, Jesus was the son of God. He was the sinless one that became sin, who knew no sin. So I, I don't, I don't want to hear, well, the reason my attitude is the way it is is because I was forgiven little, so therefore I, I love little. No, no, no. That, that, if that's what you focus on, if that's all you want to concentrate on, then that's the conclusion you're going to come to, and that's the life you're going to live. But the issue is, both of these people owed a debt that they couldn't pay. And the creditor came and said, I forgive you both. Oh, the one that owed a, a great amount of debt may be more excited... But I'm telling you, when you understand that you could not pay your sin debt and somebody else had to pay it for you, and the only one that could is Jesus Christ, that ought to motivate you. It ought to stir inside of you an excitement to know who this God is and what his purpose is and be grateful for him inclining unto you and reaching down into a pit that you chose to be in and putting your feet on a solid rock and establishing your going and putting a song in your heart. I don't care what kind of debt you had or didn't have. You couldn't pay it and neither could I. If we were the only human on earth, Jesus would have had to die and would have, a, and would have died in your place, Mr. and Mrs. No Debt, Small Debt, we could have never breached the gulf fixed between us and our holy God. But Jesus could. And Jesus died. And Jesus became sin. And Jesus paid our debt. A debt you and I simply could have never paid. So it's interesting that verse 44 kind of tells us if we get it or not. 
And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them the hairs of her head. It's, that, it's amazing to me. You, there, there's a sign if you get that there was a debt that you couldn't pay. <clears throat> One of the signs is you're willing to serve. <laughs> Can I tell you, if there, to, 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 to this lady, there was no distractions. I don't care what's going on in the world. I, I don't care what the culture's doing. I don't care what those around me are doing or saying. This is what I know. This man brought something to me that I can never do myself. And I'm going to serve him with everything I have. And I, and I know, I know, I know what you're saying. I, I, I've thought about this on the plane. I've thought about this in my office the last couple of weeks, thinking about coming here. But we're in Bible college. We are serving the Lord. But how are you serving the Lord? Are you doing it so you get your, you know, you don't get demerits? Are you, whatever you have here, I don't know, they're all different, but you know what I mean. Are you doing it, you know, so, so you can check it off your list? Are you doing it because there's something inside of you that says, man, I, I owe him something. I, I, I am going to serve him with all of my life, with all of my soul, with all of my heart, because he did something for me I could not do for myself. I owe him. I'm going to serve him with everything I have, with everything that I am. Why do you serve? Verse 45. Thou gavest me no kiss... But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Okay, you, you understand what that entails. If she's kissing his feet, then she's on her knees. In the Bible, worship means to bow oneself. So she's kissing his feet. She is worshiping him. And I want you to understand that the dinner that Jesus was invited to was a big deal. There, there would have been a lot of people there. And obviously a Pharisee, there's to be some religious people there. And Simon, the one that invited Jesus, was already sarcastic in his own heart and mind saying, if he knew that she, who she was, he wouldn't allow this. There was all kinds of attitudes and spirits displayed there that day. And you know what she said? I don't care what you think. I don't care what they think. I don't care what they think about the gospel, whether they receive it or not. This is what I know. This man, his precious feet brought me the gospel and I am, he, I, he gave me something that I couldn't do for myself and I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody does. I am going to worship him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to serve him and you can do with it what you want. Does that make sense? You're, you're going to go and I'm, I'm telling you, California is not the only place that's absent to the gospel. The whole world's becoming that way. And, and you're going to be, you're going to be dictated by your love for him your devotion to Him, your gratitude for Him? Or are you going to be dictated by the circumstances you find yourself in? And I'm telling you, when, when there's something inside of us that understands He did for me what I cannot do for myself, He can have all my life, He can have all my time, He can have all my resources. I'm going to worship Him. She did. You know why? Because she got it. Number three. Verse 46, sacrifice. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. 
it's, it's pretty simple. Everything she had. Do you understand that? Everything she had, her time, her emotions, her resources, her, her energy, he has it. No, it's not a cynical question. Which is more important, the head or the feet? Not being sarcastic, but you can live without your feet. I don't want to, but you could. But you can't live without your head. So it's the head that's more important. Which is more expensive, oil or ointment? The question that he posed to Simon was, you wouldn't take that which is the least expensive and pour it on that which is the most important. But because she got it, she took that which is the most important and poured it on that which is the least. Sacrifice. Can I tell you, every person here today sits in one of two places. You're overwhelmed with who he is, what he's done. Or quite frankly, you're underwhelmed. But I can tell you this, if you sit here today and you know Jesus Christ is your personal savior, you're a debtor. And it may have been a little debt, but you couldn't pay it. Gratitude is a big deal with God. Gratitude precludes humility. Humility engages God's grace. And you know what I need to be grateful? Grace. You know what I need to be zealous? Grace. I need God's ability. And if you're here today and you're just a little bit underwhelmed with Calvary, you need God's grace. Because you're not grateful enough 